0: Podcast, show number 299. We are almost at 300, which is crazy. Oh no, I can't say that's crazy. If I was doing this podcast at the schedule that I used to do it, for like 10, 11 years, then we would have reached 300 a long time ago. Uh, Unfortunately, real life and schedules don't necessarily allow for things to be the way they used to be. And so here we have a very late podcast. This is later than I've ever had it i think and that annoys the hell out of me but you know christmas time coming up and i've got a huge huge commission prop that i need to work on it's over 300 parts and i really wanted to get it done by the end of november and it's nowhere close to being done so i've been dumping a lot of time into that oh well it it's it's been crazy the past few weeks i almost said months i meant weeks it <laughs> has been crazy the past few months too Anyway, I'm not going to waste anybody's time. This podcast is probably not going to be a very long one. There's not a lot going on. End of the year, I'm seeing... God, I'm so tired of 2022's best whatever, Ranked. As though putting Ranked gives some kind of gravitas to the article. No, it doesn't. Just, Just stop it with the Ranked BS, okay? Fine, give us a list of stuff if you want, if you're you're interested, if that's all you can do to get clicks at this point of the year. Knock it off with the RANKED. It's RANKED. Well, it doesn't give it any credibility. I'm not trying to be a Scrooge. I'm just, I'm kind of tired of that, okay? And there are a lot of Hollywood rags that start to pull this crap at this time of the year. The top 10 horror movies of 2022 RANKED. You know, the top 10 dramas of 2022 ranked. If it wasn't for the fact that I try to keep this podcast a little bit family-friendly, I'd use words for these people that, well, you get the idea. So anyway, anyway, rather than keep yammering about nothing else, I'm just going to start hitting the show notes. Disney has launched their lower-priced ad-supported subscription service. It's called Basic with Ads. Okay, simple enough. It's priced at $8 a month. Uh, Right now, it's only in the U.S. I do need to specify that. And that was the price for their ad-free service, which is now $11 a month. If you want Hulu in with that, the Disney Plus Plus Hulu bundle with ads is $10 a month, uh, $13 when you include ESPN Plus. But if you want Hulu, Live TV, ESPN Plus, and Disney Plus, all of which have ads, it's $70 a month because we are back to what we were complaining about when it comes to uh, when they started separating these things in the first place. Hey, they're back to cable prices! Anyway, this move was completely expected, seeing as how Netflix launched their ad-supported version last month, Paramount+, Plus, Peacock, Hulu, HBO Max, Discovery+, Plus already have ad-supported subscriptions as well. So the fact that Disney has decided to uh, tag along with that is not surprising. If you're one of those who still own a Sling, now if you've never heard of Sling, I'm not not surprised by that. Sling TV was like one of the first options for cord cutting. It was one of the first services where you could actually stream live television as well as on-demand content. That's what separated it from Netflix. You could do live television. And they also had a bunch of of different types of hardware that you could use and so forth. Well, if you are one of the few, well, honestly, I don't know anybody who owns a Sling, but if you are one of the few who owns a Sling, uh, their Sling Orange and Sling Blue plans are now going to cost $40 a month. Uh, meanwhile, bundling Orange and Blue will cost 55 And that pricing is in effect as of December 3rd. But even with the price hike, they claim that there are going to be more benefits on the way, saying that there are plans to include more than 150 channels. And a feature including auto binge watching and user profiles for families. So, you know, it doesn't sound like a bad thing. And if it's, you know, if, if you're one of the reasons why you haven't cut the cord or you don't necessarily like all of the uh, having to buy that subscription, that subscription, that subscription, that subscription, that subscription, Sling might still be an option for you. At the very least, it's, it's worth checking out. I mean, the real big thing to it is that it's mostly a live service, although they do have DVR functionality. So it's more like cable than what other subscription services are like, which all, all of which pretty much are on demand. But nonetheless, I mean they're probably going to be significantly cheaper than having an actual cable plan. So, you know, at least worth checking out. If you have Netflix, well, I've talked a lot about their password sharing crackdown. It's definitely on its way now. They're rolling it out. Starting in early 2023, Netflix, uh, an, a Netflix account will incur an additional fee if it's, if you're caught sharing your password out. I mean, up till now, they've been doing test plans as well as rolling it out in places like Argentina and Honduras. But apparently they're considering that test phase to be over and they're now going to be rolling it out to more territories as a matter of policy. So full details are unknown at this point. There's no word yet on what it will cost. Uh, But Netflix did confirm that a profile transfer feature is coming. So if you have a profile on, you know, say you're a college student, and you've been hogging your—you're not hogging, but you've been taking off your parents' plan. You'll be able to transfer uh, your profile to your own paid account, and this profile transfer will also apply to their new lower-priced ad-based tier. In fact, Netflix has said that they expect that version to be extremely, po- extremely popular uh, with people who are getting pushed off of other people's accounts. So again, no word about pricing, but if you've been taking someone else's user ID and password for Netflix then you could expect there are going to be, well, there are going to be some problems with that, and the people who own the account are going to end up getting charged more, so you might end up having to get your own. Now this next one, this is probably not going to be of any interest to most people. I saw this, and I had to giggle. Having grown up in the 80s, I'm used to seeing a whole bunch of movies on HBO that were there, mostly for filler. Typical 80s movies. And some of those movies were the Chuck Norris missing in action movies. You could always see them on HBO, especially when, you know, they'd, they'd be scattered here and there and they'd, they'd come back every few months. great. these are Chuck Norris movies, regardless of, of the memes that, that go on about him. Those movies were typical 80s, bleh, military, jingoistic, all that kind of stuff. They're, they're Chuck Norris movies. Come on. He definitely became a better actor as time went on, especially the time of of Walker, Texas Ranger, and so forth. But back in the 80s, acting was not his strong suit at all. But at the same time, I have complained many times on this podcast about how there are a lot of movies and TV shows that have not made it to current media. They still reside in VHS, if they've been released at all. And so I I guess there's a bit of uh, duplicity on this one, because on one hand, it's like, oh, God. The old Chuck Norris movies, really. But on the other hand, at least now they're coming out in a physical format because the missing in action films are coming to Blu ray for the first time. These movies are almost 40 years old, and probably up until this point, they only exist on VHS, maybe on DVD. But the folks at Kino Lorber actually went back and they've done HD remastering uh, from the original or from new 4K scans of the original camera negatives and they feature new audio commentaries. <laughs> but I mean I'm glad, don't get me wrong. I'm glad to see these things are getting a physical release. But at the same time when I first saw them I was like, really? The missing in action movies? Oh, uh, well, I mean that probably has no value to anybody but the old farts who are listening to this podcast and the, of which there are maybe two of you, two of you, three maybe. But I thought it was funny. And honestly, I wish that the they being the studios would release actual disc sales numbers. They refuse to do that, which is infuriating. So I saw another article that said Top Gun Maverick is the top-selling DVD and Blu-ray for the past five weeks, and all I'm thinking of, how many how, how many pieces have been sold? What is the quantity? Give me numbers. Now, I know that, that physical media is not dying as much as a lot of people would like to think it is, but I'd love to have some of the numbers to back that up, and unfortunately, they're not giving them Anyway, not going to go over any kind of box office numbers, because as I record this, A New Weekend is about to hit, as usual. That's, that's kind of the way it works. Uh, but, at least, we do know that Black Panther Wakanda Forever has been doing incredibly well. It's made almost $400 million so far, and that's simply domestically. Violent Night came in, I've been, I don't like horror, but for those people who like horror, I've been hearing a lot of good things about uh, Violent Night. That came in at about $14 million on its debut. It's already a given that Disney's Strange World, it's, it's a bomb. In fact, there's an article in here, it, uh, it could lose up to $147 million. So far, Strange World has only brought in about $26 million domestically. So there have been a lot of things going on back and forth on that one regarding, should that have been put to uh, streaming? You know, and Why was Hocus Pocus 2, which a lot of people were looking forward to, why was that not brought in theatrically instead? Don't know what Disney's thinking about with a lot of things. Apparently, the uh, things that I've been reading said that Strange World, because it has, oh my god, a gay character, heart be still like there are no gay people in this world. There was concern about blowback from the LGBTQ community for pulling that theatrically and putting it to streaming, which I can understand that view. But the one I don't understand, apparently Hocus Pocus, the reason why that was left for streaming is because supposedly, well, it was written and budgeted for streaming. What the hell does that mean? So what? Apparently, Disney did a test screening for Hocus Pocus 2, and the reviews for it were through the roof, and it did extremely well on streaming. I mean, one of the things that I read is that supposedly the contracts were written uh, when when it comes to various types of compensation, that it was meant for streaming, not theatrical, and then going theatrical would have required all of the contracts to be rewritten. Well, quite frankly, considering how much people still talk about the original Hocus Pocus. That was probably a really stupid move in the first place. What do I know? I'm just this idiot podcast who's got about five people who listens to each show. Oh, well, whatever. Uh, the only other movie that's really been doing anything at the box office as of late is Black Adam, and even then, it's only made $165 million domestically. domestically. It's, it's debatable whether it's going to be even a break-even at this point. I mean, so far, the movie has made about $384 million worldwide. You know it had a budget of around $200 million. Then you got the promotion and all that other kind of stuff. So there's debate on whether that's going to be considered to be a profitable movie. And there's a whole thing going on with DE that I will... Co- DE. Not Digital Extremes. That's Warframe. With DC and uh, you know the whole Warner Brothers DC Universe, big things going on that I will be covering later in the podcast. The only other movie really of note when it comes to the box office is Halloween Ends, even with its controversial plotline and ending. Still has crossed the $100 million mark, which it's, that's still profitable because it, its production costs were $33 million. But otherwise, worldwide, there's not a whole lot of stuff going on. All of the movies that have made a ton of money worldwide, they've, d- they've done their run. Top Gun Maverick so far has made almost $1.5 worldwide. Jurassic World Dominion crossed the $1 billion mark. Uh, Doctor Strange, 955 million. Minions, 940 million. The Batman at 770 million. So that was a success for sure. And I'm sure the next podcast I'll have the numbers for, you know, everything that the box office has done this year. And we'll have to see how that turns out and if there really is a COVID recovery going on. Not sure if you know who I am, but I'm about to rule the world. Wow, uh... Yay, but there's one problem. There's a human has a mustache just like you. <laughs> Do you think I know every human being with a mustache wearing a magnetic outfit with a hat with the letter of his first name on it? <laughs> because I don't. <laughs> Bowser is coming. Together, we are going to stop that monster. How? Look at us. Oh, I got this. No problem. Yes! Come on, Mario! Our big adventure begins now! Ah, get it out, get it out, get it out! There's a huge universe out there. With a lot of galaxies. They're all counting on us. pressure. When, duh! We all know what that was a trailer for. That was the newest trailer for Super Mario Brothers. Um, it looks amazing. I still don't know that I can get past Chris Pratt's interpretation of Mario. It just, I, he's right. When he said that it's unlike anything you've ever heard before, he's, he's not wrong. He's definitely not wrong. Um, I don't know how much of that is a good thing. I mean, it, it sounds like Mario's trying to do an impersonation of Terrence and Philip from South Park. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right, buddy. That's right, yeah. I, <laughs> whatever. I don't, hey, regardless, I'm sure it's still going to be a big hit of a movie because it looks authentic to the material, minus the voice, uh, coming out in the U.S. on April 7th and in Japan on April 28th. That's kind of weird. The trend lately is for other countries to get it before the U.S., but nonetheless, that, that's the way it is. And if you want to see the trailer, you know where to go. With all of the uh, problems that Ezra Miller has been having, I know people have been wondering what's going to happen with the Flash movie. Uh, It's still going on. In fact, it's being pushed up a week. It's now going to be on June 16th of 2023. Many were wondering if it would go to HBO Max, but no, they're, they're keeping it theatrical. And apparently, testing for the movie has been through the roof. According to this, one non-studio observer said that it is Spider-Man No Way Home Good. And speaking of Spider-Man, they're just dropped, I mean, literally just dropped a few hours ago as I record this. There's a new Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse official trailer. It's really, it's a teaser more than anything else, but they're calling it a trailer. But as such, there's really not much for me to play. It's more of a visual thing. And for me to, uh, to include the audio for it in a way that makes sense, I might as well play the whole damn thing. I'd rather have you see it. So, I will have a link in the show notes. It's, it's looking good. But, I mean, that's to be expected. So, anyway, link in the show notes, but you knew that. Keanu Reeves has entered into negotiations to reprise his role as John Wick in Ballerina, which is a new spinoff from the John Wick franchise. I really, I guess this is more of a rumor than anything else, but apparently he is going to be appearing uh, alongside of Ana de Armas and Ian McShane. So, obviously, Ian McShane is going to be reprising his role as the Continental Hotel manager Winston. If you've seen the movies, you understand the reference. And apparently production on Ballerina is now underway. Obviously, when it comes to the next uh, John Wick movie, Chapter 4, is scheduled to be released on March 23rd, 2023. But right now we have no release date for Ballerina. Um, it's possible we could see it at the end of 2023. Otherwise, it's most likely going to hit sometime in 2024. I've mentioned this before in previous podcasts because Disney... Disney's a bunch of jackasses. I'm sorry, there's no other way to phrase it. I had major concerns when they bought Fox about what was going to happen with Deadpool. I mean, considering that this is Disney, they put fur on naked women's butts because, you know, you have to protect the children. So there's a lot of concern of what the hell they were going to do with Deadpool, how they were going to neuter it, well, would they neuter it, and all that. Director Sean Levy has once again confirmed that Deadpool is going to be rated R, and that being part of the MCU is not going to change that. Which Okay, fine, he said, we are writing, rewriting, developing, prepping Deadpool every day now and it has wolverine in it it's it's too fun i can just that, i can just imagine what the bloopers would be like on that set or or even just behind the scenes stuff so uh, he says i have to say developing a deadpool movie is one of the most fun creative experiences of my life because it's not just that it's rated r it's also that it's so filled with self-awareness and that makes in that makes in writing very very fun in a way that is unique to that franchise uh, it's obviously, it's the first Deadpool movie under the MCU, but it's also a priority for Ryan and I to keep Deadpool raw, gritty, grounded in ways that those movies have been and that all of us love. So, they're going to have some integration into the MCU, I'm not sure what he's referring to in, about grounded, I mean, was Deadpool ever really grounded? <laughs> I don't know, but well, we'll see, I mean... The, even if you just watch like Instagram or, or Twitter videos of Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman completely messing with each other, that alone could be its own movie. And I would watch this. So there you go. I mean, if there was any concern about, you know, the, the Mouse House trying to nerf Deadpool because they have to protect the children and, and here in puritanical America. He, he's once again iterating that, no, no, it's not a problem. So, well, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll hold him to that. <laughs> but in another Sean Levy rumor, this is, we're going to leave this as a rumor, apparently he is in talks to come aboard for a new Star Wars film. Now, they're not saying if it's theatrical or Disney+, Plus they're simply saying it's a Star Wars film, so I'm going with it. You know, th- this one is firmly in the rumor category because there's absolutely nothing official, no word on plot, no word on any production staff, writer, and so forth. But, I mean, the reality is, who knows what's going to happen with this. We know that there's supposed to be a film by Taika Waititi. We haven't heard much about that in a while. Patty Jenkins dropped from the Rogue Squadron movie because of creative differences. And there's also supposed to be a Star Wars movie from Damon Lindelof. And, again, we haven't heard anything about that one in several months either, except that it's a top priority for Lucasfilm. So who knows what's going to happen with Sean Levy possibly having a Star Wars movie. But if I find out anything, you know that I will pass that along. I mean, come on just about any kind of Star Wars movie has got to be better than The Last Skywalker. (laughs) Sorry. I had to say it. Nickelodeon and Paramount have set 2005 release dates for both a SpongeBob SquarePants movie and a new Aang Avatar title. Interesting they're calling it Aang Avatar. I guess that's to separate it from James Cameron's Avatar. So yes, obviously this is based on The Last Airbender. So the fourth Spongebob movie will be in April, sorry, May 23rd, 2025, and Aang Avatar will be October 10th, 2025. I mean, right now we're talking almost three years out for Avatar, so there's no word on either of these, what the storylines are going to be. We probably won't find anything about those until probably closer to 2024, You know, mid mid to end of 2024. So if you're looking forward to those movies, you've got a bit of a wait ahead of you. But that's plenty of time for you to go back and watch your Spongebob series or your Avatar Last Airbender series. So now this article also hit just today, or at least I saw it just today, and I found this to be very interesting. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I'm a big fan of film. Not to say that I don't like digital, I understand the benefits of digital. But I understand the benefits of film as well. And sorry, but even eight K digital cameras cannot yet compare to really high quality 35 millimeter film, let alone 70 millimeter film. I mean, really high quality 35 granted, there's no absolutely perfect way of judging this, but on various technical, you know, uh filmography and, and cinematography websites that I've looked at, apparently Regular 35 millimeter film has about an 8K resolution. High quality 35 millimeter film actually has about a 12K resolution. So then, once you get 70 millimeter into the mix, you're talking 20 to 24K resolution if you were going to talk about it as digital. Sorry, resolution wise, quality wise, digital cannot compare next to film. And then you've got issues of color limitations and things like that. I'm not going to get into a big technical thing here, and I'm not trying to turn this into a film versus digital. I'm just saying I understand the benefits of both. However, Christopher Nolan is absolutely an IMAX film convert. He's always wanted to do his shows on film. He doesn't want to do any shows, his movies on film, he doesn't like digital. He is a firm, firm believer in in doing his movies on 35mm or lately IMAX film. So he he loves his 70 millimeter, but one thing that is interesting about his upcoming movie, Oppenheimer, which is about the creation of the atomic bomb, or rather, the guy who basically created the atomic bomb, is that it's, again, being filmed in IMAX, on film, and it switches between color and black and white. So you might think that, okay, well, they're filming it in color and then grading it to black and white. Uh, No, apparently not. He said, uh, I very much loved the structural assistance and the aesthetic change of shifting between color and black and white that I had on Memento, which he filmed in 35 millimeter. But the problem is, IMAX film has always been color. It's never been black and white. Until now. He said, so we challenged the people at Kodak and Photochem to make this work for us. Basically making a custom black and white IMAX film format. He said, and they stepped up. For the first time ever, we were able to shoot IMAX film in black and white. And the results were thrilling and extraordinary. As soon as Hoyt, which is his, uh, that's that's his nickname for his cinematographer, Van Hoytema, uh, said that, uh, and once Hoyt and I saw the first tests come in, we just knew that this was a format that we were immediately in love with. And even more than that, you might be seeing more movies shot on sixty-five or seventy millimeter IMAX because it turns out that with the assistance of people like 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 Christopher Nolan, IMAX is coming out with four brand new sixty-five millimeter IMAX cameras. Anyway, I mean, one more other thing about Oppenheimer is this this also just came out today. Apparently, I'm really looking forward to seeing this. I want to know how he did this. Apparently, the nuclear explosion, the Trinity explosion, which was the world's first nuclear explosion, apparently was not done with CGI. He has made it very clear that that was done on camera, or I guess in camera is the way to, to look at it. But it, basically, it's done with practical effects. Now, how he did that without actually you know, creating another nuclear bomb, I don't know. But apparently, his visual effects supervisor, Andrew Jackson, was looking at how to do a lot of the visual elements for the film practically, and that includes representing quantum dynamics and quantum physics to the explosion itself. And apparently part of the challenge was not just having the explosion not be CGI, but also the devastation that it caused being done practically instead of with CGI. So anyway, I mean, other than that, I I actually am still interested in seeing this movie. The last Christopher Nolan movie I watched was Inception, and I loved it. But as someone who's been interested in that topic you know atomic weaponry and atomic reactions and so forth i'm actually very interested to see this so oppenheimer comes out plus i also want to see it just to see the practical effects and how well they were done so anyway uh it opens in theaters on july 21st 2023 we knew the world would not be the same cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him on his multi-armed form and says now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. As you know, well, I'll take that back. Those of you who have been with this podcast for a long time know that I am a big fan of the theatrical experience as opposed to streaming. Um, I don't Again, I see both sides. There are advantages to watching something on stream as opposed to watching them in the theater. Not the least of which is, financially, uh, tickets... Usually the cost of of a movie ticket is more expensive than the monthly cost of a subscription service. Uh, So you you got that, and I'm also very much that when I go to a theater, I buy popcorn, because that's what keeps the theater going. That doesn't go to the studios, that goes to the theaters. But I know people who have very severe anxieties. They don't like to go to theaters because they don't like being around people. I get it. But at the same time, seeing a movie in a theater, especially if it's a completely packed theater, is not the same as experiencing it at home. You don't get the the big crowd cheers at home that you would inside of a theater. You don't get the... Uh, during the, during the sad scenes, you don't hear the sniffing and the sobbing that you necessarily would get at home. Whoops, I just knocked stuff over on my desk because I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's a way to interrupt my, my train of thought. But I get it. I see both sides to streaming and theatrical, just like I see both sides to streaming versus physical media. I get it. Steven Spielberg, however, doesn't necessarily like streaming. And he has even gone to say that there is a, a pivotal moment in his latest film, The Fablemans, which he says revolves around a theatrical experience, not streaming. But he had, some, uh, he had some things to say about streaming services, saying that the pandemic created an opportunity for streaming platforms to raise their subscriptions to record-breaking levels and also throw some of my best filmmaker friends under the bus as their movies were unceremoniously not given theatrical releases. Obviously, we've we've talked about that several times, and now there seems to be more surprise when a movie's going to theater instead of streaming. Uh, He did say that I think older audiences were relieved that they didn't have to step on sticky popcorn. I really don't think that's the issue. Uh, But I really believe those same older audiences, once they got into the theater, the magic of being in a social situation with a bunch of strangers is a tonic. Uh, It's up to the movies to be good enough to get all the audiences to say that to each other when the lights come back up. I mean, I find it interesting that he's focusing on older audiences on this one. I guess... uh, Okay, yeah, I guess because most movies nowadays are big box office, blockbuster, hero kind of movies, those attract the younger audiences, true. And we talked on the last podcast about how Amsterdam, which is a more adult-oriented movie, is set to lose $100 million. Yeah, and a lot of that is because the adult audiences didn't come out to see it. But he did say, uh, I found it encouraging that Elvis broke $100 million at the domestic box office. A lot of older people went to see that film, and that gave me hope that people were starting to come back to the movies as the pandemic becomes an endemic. I think movies are going to come back. I really do. I mean, really, for me, and I've talked about this before, too, that." A lot of the problems with theatrical releases, especially ones that aren't necessarily expected to have huge audiences, is that movie theaters will keep charging the exact same prices for everything. They'll charge the exact same price for a smaller, more indie-style film than they will for a massive blockbuster that you know is going to rake in hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And honestly, I can see why streaming would be more appealing to that. Now, this is the same thing with Movie Pass. I understand why Movie Pass or things like that could be very appealing, especially for people who would like to see smaller movies but don't want to necessarily have to pay the exact same price as the big blockbuster tickets. So, I mean, I understand the benefit of day-and-date theatrical releases and streaming, but at the same time, I still think there is, is something more to be said about seeing movies in theaters as opposed to seeing them at home if the theater is an option for you. So, I don't know. What do you think? You, you, you tell me what you think on this one. Podcast at widescreen.org. Unfortunately, we do have a number of obituaries that we have to talk about since the last podcast. Uh, this one is not so much movie-related, but absolutely pop culture, TV, video game for sure, and obviously, I'm a big gamer. I talk about gaming on this podcast, too. Kevin Conroy who voiced Batman for pretty much everything since Batman the Animated Series has died after a battle with cancer. Uh, He rose to fame with Batman the Animated Series from 1992 to 96, and more or less voiced Batman in just about every iteration from that point on, including the Batman Arkham video game series, which are freaking amazing. Okay, I haven't played the last one. Arkham... What is it? Arkham... uh, I played Arkham Asylum which was freaking fantastic. Arkham City was also amazing. What was uh Arkham Arkham Knight is the newest one. Eh, I've heard okay things about and I know there's another one in there that I'm missing. Um hold on, hold on, time to look it up. Do, 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 do. Arkham Origins. I did not hear many good things about Arkham Origins, which is probably why I forgot about it. But anyway, He portrayed Batman in almost 60 different productions, including 15 films, uh, including Batman Mask of the Phantasm, 15 different animated series, which means over 400 episodes, as well as two dozen video games that involved Batman. I mean, basically, the guy was Batman from 1992 on. And Mark Hamill, who gained a lot of notoriety besides Star Wars for his voice of the Joker, and also played the Joker in the the Arkham video games, said that uh, it was one of those perfect scenarios where they got the exact right guy for the exact right part, and the world was better for it. His rhythms and subtleties, tones and delivery, that all helped inform my performance, meaning his as the Joker. He was the ideal partner. It was such a complimentary creative experience. He will always be my Batman. And I think for a lot of people, that's going to be the case. And these are going to be some big shoes to fill. Kevin Conroy was 66. Irene Cara has also died, although she might not have been uh, popular recently. You know, the young, younger people might be saying, Irene Cara? Who? Those of us who are older absolutely remember her from uh, doing the flash dance theme of What a Feeling, uh, for which she also won Best Original Song Oscar. And she was also known for starring in and singing the title song for Fame. So really, Fame is what really sent her into stardom. And if you've never seen Fame, it is about a group of diverse teens attending New York City's High School of the Performing Arts. Now, that also won an Oscar for Original Song, and the movie took home the Oscar for Original Score as well. She also won several Grammys, including Best Pop Vocal Performance, Female, and Best Album, Of original score written for a motion picture or a television special, both of those Grammys were for flash dances. What a feeling. Irene Cara was 63. And finally, Kirstie Alley has died after a bout with cancer that was only recently discovered. Notice there's a a theme with cancer here, hence why my support for the Quest to Conquer Cancer this year. Now, most people will probably know her from TV. Having played Rebecca Howe on Cheers for many years, uh, in fact, getting, she got eight uh, Emmy nominations during her career, and, and uh, won an Emmy in 1991, and she kept going on the show until it was, it was uh, finished in 1993. And then she starred on uh, Veronica's Closet as Veronica Chase, the head of a lingerie company in New York City. Now, theatrically, she also played in well, the, all of the uh, Look Who's Talking movies, Madhouse with John Larroquette, uh, John Carpenter's Village of the Dams, Deconstructing Harry, For Richer, For Poorer, which, I'm sorry, maybe it's just because I live in Pennsylvania Dutch territory. I didn't mind that movie, even though I know a lot of people didn't care for it. But of course, for most of us who are Star Trek fans, she got her start theatrically in Star Trek II as the original half-Vulcan, half-Romulan Savick. And, in my opinion, was regrettably uh, recast with Robin Curtis in the role in Star Trek's 3 and 4, but I mean, regardless of of all of her movie and TV roles, I think to most of us who are Star Trek fans, she will always be our main Savick, and that's the role I'm always going to think of first when I hear people mention her name. Kirstie Alley was 71. There was talk for a while, and I'm pretty sure that I mentioned it on this podcast before too that a female-led Pirates of the Caribbean was in the works with Margot Robbie, well, apparently that idea is now dead in the water. That pirate ship has sunk. She said that we had an idea, and we were developing it for a while, ages ago, to have a more female-led, not totally female-led, but a different kind of story, which we thought would have been really cool, but I guess they don't want to do it. So the movie was to have been written by Christina Hodson. Uh, who also wrote Bird of Pre- uh, Birds of Prey, and Jerry Bruckheimer was on board to produce. But apparently, that's just, it's, it's now not going anywhere, even though Jerry Bruckheimer does have other Pirates of the Caribbean movies in the works. But the status of those currently are not very clear either. So if you're waiting for another Pirates of the Caribbean, you might be waiting a while, and if you're waiting for a female-led version, probably not going to happen. If a Singaporean company called Cinewave gets their way, outdoor theater might be more popular. So they've landed a patent here in the U.S., and this device of theirs, or this idea, it will replace expensive heavy audio equipment, you know, including things like FM transmitters and so forth for broadcasting outdoors at places like drive-ins, with a phone-based app. So the user's can simply watch the movie on the big screen outside and listen on their phone with their own headphones. So and, and The app and everything will make sure that what they're hearing is in sync with what's going on on the screen. And the only requirements besides obviously, I'm assuming a Wi-Fi network of some, uh, you know, some way, is a CineWave app, the person's own headphones, and the event holders will need a CineWave player on a laptop. So this is the brainchild of Jason Chan and Christian Lee, who themselves are filmmakers, and said, when we were in theaters, we weren't necessarily happy with all of the theatrical sound because theaters are balanced differently based on different hall sizes. And when we realized most audience members don't sit in the sweet spot right in the middle where we want them to be, uh, we thought, what if we could create a technology where everyone gets the same mix that we mixed, no matter where they sit? And this applies for outdoor screenings as well. Well, I mean, this isn't necessarily going to happen in indoor screenings. The big theaters pay way too much money for their audio setup, but it makes absolute sense. If you go to a theater and you don't sit in pretty much the very middle part, you're not getting the best audio balance. So what better way to alleviate that than to wear your own headphones and it doesn't matter where you sit, you're going to get the same audio experience. And at things like drive-thrus, I did it again, drive-ins, drive-ins, not drive-thrus, but at, at drive-ins, generally what they'll do is they'll have you turn on your FM radio, and then, you know, set it to a certain frequency, and that will get you the audio for the movie. Yes, yes, long are the days when you had to stick a, a speaker on the inside of your window. Long gone are those days. But I mean, nowadays, just about everybody has a phone. You know, and in situations where maybe you have a young kid who doesn't have a phone, just use a splitter of some kind. Or if you're using Bluetooth, hopefully they can connect. So, yeah, there are technical limitations. I get that. But they can be worked around. You know, and uh, those of us who use phones with headphone jacks, all we have to do is have a 35 millimeter headphone jack splitter. And we can share that audio with anyone else. So, anyway, they got the idea when they were trying to build the world's largest cinema outdoors uh, seating some 30 to forty thousand people at singapore's marina bay and they ran into issues of scaling you know he said the thing that stopped people in the past is audio you can't scale audio like that when you get to 500 600 people you start to get echo delay but now we're able to do that and you know with some of the headsets that people have nowadays which just kids have nowadays they're so good that they're coming up to us and saying, that was better than cinema quality sound. You know, this is a great idea. I'm guessing that it would be something like, even if it's not Wi-Fi, if it's actually done through an internet connection, that it they'd have a display saying, uh, to get the audio, enter this code in your app, and then it would link up with your phone that way. But what I found funny <laughs> is that, well, apparently uh, they've secured approval from Disney and Sony, when it comes to use of this app. But it says that uh, what we had to do is make sure that our encryption and security systems were all Hollywood-grade. Obviously, they're always worried about piracy. Um, okay. The weak link in that chain, though, is that the audio to headphones would either be a, a connection, a physical connection with a cable or Bluetooth. That can easily have the audio be pirated right there you just record it to something <laughs> you know you just plug it into the line in of a of some kind of recording or some kind of recording device or connected via bluetooth to a recording device and then you point your phone at the screen so i'm not <laughs> i'm not quite sure how any kind of encry- i mean encryption from the laptop to the app Fine, but once you get it there, you can capture the audio and you can always capture the screen with a phone or something like that from your car or wherever it is. Anyway, anyway, I just found that bit funny. The studios are so concerned about piracy when you know it's it's a farce and you know they know that it's a farce. But they still have to put that front up that no, 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 we, we are concerned about piracy just to keep the shareholders happy, I guess. Anyway, I think that's cool technology, and especially for outdoor showings or impromptu ones where suddenly it's, you know, inflatable screen inside of a public park and everybody just gets the app and they can hear the audio from there. Longtime listeners know that I'm a big fan of the musical Wicked and I'm I've been both excited and sad about what's been going on with the Wicked movie because it was on, then it was off, then it was on, then it was off. Now it's on again, but it's going to be made into two movies instead of one, which is just, what? The play was not that long, guys. But apparently it is absolutely still in the works as Michelle Yeoh has been brought on board to be one of the actresses in it. She's going to be playing Madame Morrible, the headmistress of Craig Hall at Shiz University. So, the movie is going to star Ariana Grande as Glinda, and Cynthia Erivo as Elfaba. And right now, it's set for release in the first part, Christmas of 2024, second part, Christmas of 2025. I mean, granted, that's still two years away. Anything can happen, but I'm still happy to see that it apparently is a go. Need to get the wife and kids up to New York City to see it on Broadway, though. That would be cool. Now, I know one particular member of my audience is going to be very thrilled at the potential for this, but this is in the rumor category, strictly rumor. Apparently, The Princess Diaries is getting another sequel. And the reason I say this is because this particular listener is absolutely in love with Anne Hathaway, who starred in you know all of the other Princess Diaries movies. So, she currently does not have a deal to return, supposedly, but she has publicly stated her support, and the hope is that she would return with whatever new movie this is going to be. So, if you've never heard of it, The Princess Diaries came out in 2001, uh, starred Anne Hathaway as an American teenager, who learns that she is the heir to the throne of the fictional European kingdom of Genovia, with Julie Andrews. Became a big hit, made $165 million globally, the sequel also was a, a good hit. It would, it made about $135 million globally. But that was 2001 and 2004. So it's kind of surprising that they've waited this long to come up with a potential sequel. And chances are it will focus on Anne Hathaway's kids. But anyway, that's just a rumor for now. But even then, I can hear BJ screaming in delight right now, saying, please let Anne Hathaway be in it, please! Yeah, I can hear it. I can hear it. I miss the desert. I miss the sea. And I miss waking up every morning. is of course the first trailer for the new Indiana Jones movie Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny directed by James Mangold not Steven Spielberg so according to this the opening sequence is reportedly set in 1944 and employs de-aging technology for Harrison Ford so 1944 would be eight years after Raiders of the Lost Ark after which the movie jumps forward to 1969 so the voice you heard in the beginning is that of Sala John Reese Davies Of course, Denholm Elliott died in 1992, so he can't be part of the movie. Duh. But the movie is going to be, uh, it's going to be scored by the one and only John Williams. So Spielberg has taken a role of executive producer along with George Lucas. And fortunately, George Lucas apparently did not have a hand in the writing of the story. So hopefully, no Crystal Skull alien nonsense. We'll see. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is going to be released on June 30th of 2023. Hey! Don't forget. Where are we came from. We have been running our whole lives. I'm done running. So once again, that's being called the trailer. It really feels more like a teaser because it tells nothing. Anyway, that is the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And you know where to go if you want to see it. But the movie itself comes out on May 5th of 2023. So you might have heard that there's been a big brouhaha over at DC. James Gunn, and yes, the James Gunn, and Peter Safran are now basically in charge of the DC Cinematic Universe. And there were some rumors and, and things that got leaked out that made people say, uh, what? So both were hired in October to lead a newly launched film and TV division. And granted, insiders have said that it, the whole thing is a work in progress and one that has yet to be approved. But boy, have, the rumor mill has been going crazy. So apparently Wonder Woman 3 is not moving forward. That's considered to be completely dead. Uh, supposedly, again, rumor, uh, the project as it stood did not fit in with the new plans for what's going on. Uh, this one, some people might might be happy with this one, some people not. But apparently the Snyderverse, which is Zack Snyder's whole thing with with Justice League and Batman and so forth, that apparently is being shut down. Uh, the same rumor mill was also saying that Man of Steel 2 has been shut down, although, although, uh, I have heard statements from James Gunn that have said, no, Superman is front and center with whatever their new plans are, so you can't expect Henry Cavill to come back for that. But apparently, no more Aquaman with Jason Momoa. And even though those characters have cameos in the Flash movie, apparently, there's debate inside of, of Warner Brothers and DC as to whether or not to keep those cameos in, because it's possible that the whole situation with the cinematic universe might go away. They also said that at this point, a Black Adam sequel is very unlikely because it's not even made $390 million at the box office yet, so that's if it's not really, really close to break-even, it's not going to break-even. The only thing that they've said right now that the whole gun Saffron plan does not seem to touch, is the Matt Reeves Batman universe, and that's obviously the one with Robert Pattinson. Makes sense for them not to touch that, because it was a massive success on its own, bringing in $770 million worldwide. And they're almost certainly not going to touch Joker, because that's brought in over a billion dollars. Which is astounding when the movie was made for only $55 million only, only. you know what, compared to a billion dollars, 55 million ain't nothing. So yeah, the rumors are going so hot and heavy on that that James Gunn had to come out and make a statement saying that, so, as for the story yesterday in The Hollywood Reporter, some of it is true, some of it is half true, some of it is not true, and some of it we haven't decided whether it's true or not. Although this first month at DC has been fruitful, Building the next 10 years of story takes time, and we're still just beginning. We know we are not going to make every single person happy every step of the way, but we can promise everything we do is done in the service of the story, story in all uppercase, and in the universe, or sorry, and in the service of the DC characters, characters again, uppercase. We know you cherish, and we have cherished our whole lives. As for more answers about the future of the DCU, I will sadly have to ask you to wait. We're going to give these characters and stories the time and attention they deserve, and we ourselves still have a lot more questions to ask and answer. So, again, with all the brouhaha, Patty Jenkins has decided to chime in, and this was, again, just today, earlier on Twitter. She posted a... it was actually an image with her whole text on it, and I'll just give you some of it, saying, (sighs) Ah, I'm not one to talk about private career matters but I will not allow inaccuracies to continue here are the facts I originally left Rogue Squadron after a long and productive development process when it became clear it wouldn't happen soon enough and I did not want to delay Wonder Woman 3 any further When I did Lucasfilm asked me to consider coming back to Rogue Squadron after Wonder Woman 3 which I was honored to do so which I was honored to do so I agreed they made a new deal with me. In fact, I'm still on. I'm still on it, and that project has been in active development ever since. I don't know if it will happen or not. So, okay. So, Rogue Squadron apparently is is still on. When there started being backlash about Wonder Woman three not happening, the attractive clickbait false story that it was me that killed it or walked away started to spread. This is simply not true. I never walked away. It was my understanding there was nothing I could do to move anything forward at this time. DC is obviously buried in changes they are having to make, so I understand these decisions are difficult right now. I do not want what has been a beautiful journey with Wonder Woman to land on a negative note. I have loved and been so honored to be the person who got to make these last two Wonder Woman films. I wish her and her legacy an amazing future ahead with or without me. So, uh, yeah, the whole DC thing is a bit of a mess right now. Nothing that we can really do except hurry up and wait. And as more updates come out, I will let you know. But as a reminder, there are still four more DC movies coming out uh, next year, in fact. There's Shazam! Fury of the Gods, The Flash, Blue Beetle, and Aquaman and the Last Kingdom. I mean, unless Shazam! completely bombs, I can't imagine that going anywhere. The Flash and Blue Beetle, well, it depends on, on how well they're received. But there is certainly a possibility that Aquaman's not going to go anywhere. Well, I mean, there's a possibility none of them are going to go anywhere. I mean, after these theatrical releases, but we'll see. We're just going to have to wait. Even though Ghostbusters Afterlife was not a rousing success at the box office, I mean, granted, middle of COVID, uh, but it only brought in $204 worldwide, apparently there was still enough goodwill from it that Sony is now ramping up pre-production on the sequel. But now it appears that the writer and the original producer Kilgannon, uh, sorry Gil Kenan, <laughs> God John, uh, he is taking over the directing reins now. Although he has confirmed that he is picking up the reins for it, uh, apparently Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon are on board to return. That is not confirmed at this point, and sources say that the plan is to return to New York City and the iconic firehouse made famous from the original Ghostbusters films. So, right now, it is slated for a December 2023 release. I do have another teaser that uh, I'm not going to play for you because it really is a teaser. It gives no real information, and it will not be of any benefit on an audio-only podcast. Trust me. But, that new teaser trailer is for Transformers Rise of the Beasts, which will be the next Transformers movie. So the movie is inspired by the fan-favorite 90s Beast Wars storyline is expected to become the first chapter in a new trilogy. And according to this, it will explore the origins of the Autobots team on Earth, explaining why Optimus Prime is so determined to protect our little tiny planet here. Uh, Finally, the movie will introduce the Terrorcons, which is a group of Decepticons capable of transforming into nightmarish monsters. And all of these happened before the first Transformers movie, So, this is a prequel, but it could also be a soft reboot. You never know. And the best part is, it's not directed by Michael Bay. Win! That's a win! You know, it might actually focus on story and characters instead of EXPLOSIONS! So, anyway, link in the show notes, which I really don't need to tell you. And uh, it comes out on June 9th of 2023. So, this one is for the gamers in my audience here. The 1990 Sega video game Toe Jam and Earl is in the works to become a feature film. Now, unfortunately, when I say feature film, I don't necessarily mean a theatrical release. It's always possible, except it's being made by Amazon Studios. So chances are, it's going to be a Prime subscription kind of thing. So if you've never heard of Toad, Jam and Earl, it centers on two space alien rappers, yep, rappers, uh, who come to Earth seeking a cure for the disease, eradicating their home planet's rhythm, funk, and groove. So the, syn- the synopsis for this particular movie is, Earth, their legends tell them, is the paradise where the music that created their culture originated. Unfortunately for our heroes, not only do they wreck their ship, but they find that Earth is not the haven they expected. But the music, that part was true. So begins their quest to find as much of that music as they can, in the hopes of saving their planet and maybe ours as well. So it became a, a hit game when it was first released back in 91. It's hound. It's soundtrack. It's soundtrack. It's getting late in the podcast. Does it show? Pulling heavily from jazz, funk, and hip hop, and it eventually earned two sequels. So again, Amazon Studios. It will probably be streaming only, but you never know. Maybe by the time it comes out, Amazon will put a little bit of an olive branch out to the theaters. You know, Netflix has done it before, so we'll see. But you know, I'll let you know when I find out more. The last two bits of the show are dedicated to Japanese movies. I know that there are uh, people who listen to this podcast who are big into, well, either anime or other kinds of Japanese movies. Uh, So, uh, Makoto Shinkai's latest feature, uh, Suzume, has locked down a theatrical release in North America, Europe, Latin America, and Australia. It's going to hit North American cinemas on April 14th, courtesy of, of course, Crunchyroll. Other territories uh, set for release are France and Malta on April 12th, Australia, Brazil, Germany, Mexico, New Zealand on April 13th, Austria, Belgium, Gibraltar, Ireland, Luxembourg, and the UK on April 14th. So this is the follow-up to Weathering With You from 2019, which earned almost $200 million worldwide and was Japan's official submission to the Oscars in the uh, Best International Film category. So apparently it has been embraced by critics in Asia, with some hailing it as one of Senkai's most accomplished works to date. So it doesn't say anything about limited theatrical release, so you could probably expect it to be worldwide, as in majority of theaters. And there is a trailer, but it's all Japanese, but subtitled. Chances are you can expect the movie to be the same way. Similarly, and this is not anime, Shin Ultraman is making its U.S. premiere in Both subbed and dubbed versions. So this is courtesy of Fathom Events. It's going to happen on January 11th and 12th. And, I mean, if you're into the Japanese kaiju movies, I don't need to tell you who Ultraman is. So they don't have much in the way of descriptions. All they say is, dubbed Ultraman, the giant's identity... Obviously, the the silver giant that descends from the sky. Uh, Dubbed Ultraman, this giant's identity and purpose are a mystery... Uh, Shin Ultraman is a delightful reimagining of one of Japan's classic superheroes full of cosmic twists, charismatic villains, and, of course, giant kaiju. So it looks like when you go to Fathom events, depending on which one you want to see, uh, it would seem that January 11th is going to show the subtitled version and January 12th is going to show the dubbed version. Now, that's the way it is locally for me. I mean, uh, it's actually going to be shown at the theater right down the street from me, like half a mile away. But, so at least at my local theaters, that's how they're doing it. January 11th is subbed. January 12th is dubbed. Now, I am not a big kaiju fan. Never really cared for Ultraman. Definitely did not care for Godzilla. I do remember watching Johnny Sacco and his flying robot when I was a kid. There's one other one that I used to watch. Uh, Man, it had a giant gold robot named Gold Star or Goldar or something like that, I can't remember the name of it, but as much as I don't like Godzilla, I really, really enjoyed Shin Godzilla, I know, I know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but there was something about Shin Godzilla, I guess because it focused more on the people and the problem solving, so it was, it was kind of a, a, I want to say investigative kind of movie, I actually, I really enjoyed it. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll give Shin Ultraman a chance. You never know. I just might like that. Not enough to get me to watch the original series again, but if it gets me to enjoy the movie, eh, why not? Anyway, that's it. I can't believe I actually did get an hour out of this. I guess, uh, well, I mean, the stack of stuff isn't all that bad, but whatever. Hey, Obviously, I will not be getting another show out before Thanksgiving, probably before New Year's, especially the way that I've been going. And this is going to be a busy month for me. On the plus side, Mark and I just recorded another TGP nominal today, so that'll be coming out in a few weeks. So, as an atheist who still loves the whole pagan thing about Christmas, I want to wish all of you a Merry Christmas. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope you have a good Sunday. And if you celebrate some other kind of holiday during this time of year, I hope you have a great one. So with that, I say, my regular closings, take care of yourself, take care of each other. And if you're going through some rough times, you will get through it. You are strong enough. Don't ever let anyone else tell you otherwise. So until next time, thank you for listening. Love everybody. I know this podcast is a nothing in the whole realm of podcasts, but I appreciate that you took the time to listen. So with that, toodles! I can pray and trick with the double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me I'm free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Try to keep us real, yeah. keep us alive. I, I. This day will die tonight, and there ain't no we shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for. Love me in this fable, babe. My heart is in your hand. Our time is waiting right outside your door. And maybe tomorrow oh, 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 oh. is a better day. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. Has a better day. This podcast is copyright two thousand twenty-two, the last of the year, and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. The widescreen podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. That's Blueberry noecom dot com. Theme music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Suck it, R-I-A-A. Please visit their website at PoetsOfthefall.com. This has been A widescreen.org production.